0: Welcome to Equaocity, the podcast about all things equine, with a special emphasis on the horse-human bond. My name is Alexandra Kurland. I'm the author of The Click That Teaches, a step-by-step guide in pictures, and many other books and DVDs on clicker training. And I'm joined by Dominique Day, one of the co-founders of Kevalia. We've been talking with Vidya Karthikian of the unlikely tricksters, About concept training. Last week, she shared with us some of the games she plays with her dog. She doesn't just do straightforward match to sample and other standard discriminations. She has taught her dog Beanie children's card games. In the evening, they play Go Fish and War. Vidya didn't say as much, but I suspect she lets Beanie win as well. So we ended in the last episode by asking Vidya, Where do you begin? but I didn't let her answer the question right away. I made you wait a week. So now, finally, we're going to let her answer that question. If if Dominique arrives on your doorstep with her dog, and I arrive on your doorstep with a miniature horse, how do we begin? What's the starting point? So if, if
1: yeah, okay. I think it's possible that the answer will depend a lot upon who you ask. So may I may I talk through what I would do? Absolutely, yes. So I am an engineer in my background. So everything I think about is about breaking things down and building it back up. You know, yes. that's, that's just my natural way of problem solving. Yes. Um, so the first thing I would think about is building the behaviors and the repertoires that you need. So this is even before there is a discrimination element.
0: Right. So what are the building blocks that that need to be in place? For example, a reinforcement strategy. Mm -hmm. Yes. So I would like
1: for my animal to be able to eat from my hand or eat from a position that is near them or be able to reset. So one of the conversations you were talking about recently, what I was listening to was about building the ability for an, when you toss and they follow, do mm-hmm. they follow or do they not follow? And when I taught my first iteration of the foundations of concept training course on Tronflow, I, I didn't realize that. And I had this lovely lady who had uh, who had a goat oh i uh, it, yes indeed and she we started working on um what i said in my video i said oh in order to reset just toss the treat away <laughs> mm-hmm. and she she did that and then one of her first comments back to me was "Well, my goat isn't following the tree what now mm. <laughs> so yes <laughs> That's then we, where it starts, that's where it starts. So yeah. then we had to go, okay, what if you would use a bowl and you would clang, you know, when the treat falls and there's a clang, you would build it in in front of the goat, then move it around, move it to the back. You know, you actually need to build your reinforcement strategy,
2: yeah,
1: and so on. But that hadn't occurred to me until that one question, right? And I mm. thought, of course, it's so obvious that you throw something oh, of course not, right? <laughs> um, so that. I would think from there, so do I have an ability, do I have the means to reinforce desirable behavior with this animal? Mm-hmm. Then I would like to see stationing in some way. So stationing and what Kay Lawrence calls cue seeking, You know, so I'm looking for stationing and some kind of attention to handler that says what now, mm-hmm. yeah? Um, And that, obviously, the the ability of the learner to do that depends on the environment very much. Then I would like to build, and this can happen, maybe even concurrently, is an indication under stimulus control. So I like for people to think about what their goal behavior is going to look like. So if someone can say, oh, I want to teach uh, quantity recognition, okay what is your setup going to look like and there are several so you know there are no rules about concept training really are there so it's not a competition or so so there are, you you make up you describe in very clear terms this is what i as the handler will do this is what my animal will do
2: so the animal could paw target to indicate the answer he thinks will gain him reinforcement he could it up with his mouth
1: exactly he could walk away from you he could walk towards you he could walk next to you he could be stationing between your legs and walk through for as if if that is a possibility Mm -hmm. um or it could be um you know what or your indication is going to be that the animal will lie down in front of the item yeah Mm -hmm. so Mm -hmm. this is so what i would like for people to think about is what does that goal behavior look like so let's say your animal understands the concept perfectly what are they going to do okay yeah and build that indication under stimulus control so i i would within the context of the training session i would like for the indication to be clean so
2: so he doesn't paw before you ask him which is the biggest cart
1: yes exactly what you don't see is pop pop paw, pop paw, 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 all over mm-hmm. the place yeah.
2: he waits for the question
1: exactly he waits for the question and what that really means the reason for having that is that we want to have a clear way of influencing the behavior of our animal so we want to have a very clear dialogue you know going back and forth and it, it because the way you would then teach a concept is through examples where I would say, that's the correct answer, that's the correct answer, that's the correct answer. So I'm actually influencing the choice. So being being the teacher means that you need to be able to say, under this condition, you, this is your right answer. And be very systematic <coughs> about what are what are the prompts you know what what are the ways in which you are influencing your animal to be able to get to that correct answer and to be able to systematically withdraw them later on so if 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 I would have someone brand new, I'd say the first thing is just having that repertoire built up, having a clean indication, a clear vision of where you're going, thoughtfulness about the examples that one might choose. So if you have maybe a bird, it might be you might be okay to work with these small playing cards. In the case of my dog, for example, he seems to struggle with seeing these small playing cards. So I work with these bigger playing cards, but he's also not the kind of dog who will take that take that card and rip it up, yeah? So it's, it's this is thoughtfulness around whether the objects that we are choosing are salient and can communicate the information we want them to understand. Does this make sense?
2: Yes, yes. yes. And, and so where, because we hear a lot about color, recognition, where do we know, where, where do we learn which colors, which animal does see? because you hear oh, the horses they see blue and yellow and the dogs I don't know what people say I haven't worked with color discrimination so what's a good source for that info
1: I can talk about dogs so there are several um, papers that look at the visual acuity of dogs that covers their ability to see color so the I believe the one that I remember with dogs is where they have uh, they have like a, um, a fixed frame that just goes uh, that goes in succession and there is a picture of a cat that is in a different color mm. to the background. So let's say I'm going to make up an example. I, I don't know if this is what they exactly did. I can't remember the exact instances they tried out, but they might have a yellow colored cat on a black set of background. Yeah. So then you're, or they might then progress and they can see that the animal pays attention to mm-hmm. that motion picture. Yeah. And then progress to different colors and so on. So I believe that was a really interesting one that I read with dogs where eventually the, the current hypothesis, I believe is that dogs do see the world in color. They, they, are red-green colorblind, which means that red and green appear to be the same color. That doesn't mean they don't see color. Therefore, my understanding of the best colors to go with, with dogs, what I use is blue, yellow, white, and black. Okay. I think I have in the past, you know, when you're looking at the early learning um, section on Amazon, you're limited by the objects that are on offer. (laughs) Mm. So uh, um, I have used things like, I have used things like red objects, for example. I would be very careful not to put a red object against a green object. I, having said that, and dogs can still see in shade. Yeah. So there is, you, you kind of go, oh, just because they can't see in color doesn't mean they can't actually tell apart different objects they can see in shade, for example, or the, the other thing that's studied as well is the, the, the I guess the word for work is like blurriness, you know, so what is the sharpness with which dogs see things and they've studied that with discrimination of lines that become closer and closer and closer together mm-hmm. um, and so on. So there are studies that look at different dimensions of, you know, perception. Okay. I am not very well informed with other species, to be honest, because for the most part, I started reading it because I thought, well, I want to know how I pick the right objects.
2: Yeah, yeah. And have if, if you found that color is is as easy or more difficult than shapes or size or number? or? Oh, I think it depends a lot on reinforcement history, doesn't it? I think the answer
1: is probably different now with my own dog compared to maybe four years ago what i would have said then for for oh, yeah. him um well, because it's reinforcement history isn't it you know mm-hmm. what what he has now learned
2: what would you have said f- four years ago and what would you answer today well i think
1: for so i can tell you what i started with i guess it's hard to say It's hard to play what if scenarios as well, right? So, I can tell you what I did, and then maybe we can kind of piece it apart from that. So, I started with him on teaching him the cue blue and yellow.
2: Oh, you started with the colors?
1: I did. I started with, and and it was called, and I had these uh, little plastic cups that I used. And then I moved on to bigger and smaller actually I moved on to bigger I didn't do smaller for ages and what that has meant is that there's an imbalance in reinforcement history between Mm. bigger and smaller for him right so Mm -hmm. um, now I know how to do that better but (laughs) um,
2: then so could we could we transform Alex's mantra instead of being from every behavior you teach, there's an opposite behavior you should teach to keep things in balance. Here we would say for every concept you teach, there's an opposite concept you should teach to keep things in balance.
1: There we go, it's all (laughs) all about reinforcement history. It's all about, yes, because see it's, if there is the possibility that one might want to teach, say bigger with smaller, I think pairwise cues like that go well together. Hmm. Um, because I might want to create uh, an equal, or as much as I can, kind of an equal reinforcement history. So one of the things that I have taught with my lurcher is if I would put a certain number of tennis balls in front of him and I give him these cards where I have written numerals, one, two, three, Four, five. he's, he's matching a pattern to a quantity, right? That's all he's, that's what he, well, that's what I hope he's doing. I don't know that. And with that, for example, I find it's quite important that you, when the one is becoming fluent, you want to get the five in. Hmm. Um, and then when the five and the one are getting a bit, are becoming more mature maybe either get two in or get four in
2: okay
1: does that does this make sense yeah so you kind you're still maximizing contrast Mm -hmm. between your objects so discrimination is still as easy as it can possibly be
2: Mm -hmm.
1: but there's 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 kind of an even reinforcement history being built up
2: yeah so you started with the color
1: yeah, I think so. I started with colors. I went on to and then
2: into bigger.
1: I went on to bigger. I forgot about smaller. Uh-huh. And then I probably went on to match the sample. Yes. And then I probably went on to quantities, you know, so and I used to do them on my hand because of the reason that I described before. I still do them on my hand if I need to, because that, it's, it's quite fun. I can play anything, anywhere. And Then what I found very fascinating, I also dabbled a little bit in um, do as I do, in copying my behavior, if that makes sense. Um, So I started, I I dabbled a bit. I think we did a lot of single behaviors. I probably ought to go back and do two behaviors, you know, so copy one. I I would demo a sequence. What kind of
2: behaviors did you do?
1: Oh, things that, with him, what did I do? So it was always easier for Beanie to copy behaviors that involved the prop.
2: Okay.
1: I don't know why that. I, I don't know. It's, I'm, I'm kind of telling you my personal experience, and maybe it actually reflects the fact that I was better at teaching some things and other things that is just as well as possible. Mm-hmm. Um, he found it far easier to mimic behaviors that involved a prop like walking uh, one direction around a flower pot or the other direction around a flower pot or going standing next to the flower pot standing on top of the flower pot yeah so the so being able to discriminate between behaviors
0: that involve the flower pot but that makes sense because the other when you're doing the do as i do the question is always does the individual understand the behavior but just can't replicate it. Mm. Ken tells the story where they were doing it with two dogs. So they had two handlers, two dogs, both dogs could see its own handler Mm. and they could, and the dogs could see the other dog. So handler one and dog one. So pair a, we'll call it pair a, the handler would give a cue to sit, for example. And dog A would sit, and then handler B would give the cue copy. And so it was basically taught out of the transferred cue process initial. Oh. So it was, you would be, they, you would do the new cue copy, then you'd give the cue to sit. The dog would sit. Yes. Okay. Then you so then you you begin to fade out the sit cue, and so now. The dog that is in the first pair is given the cue to lie down, and that dog lies down. And then Handler B gives the cue copy. Well, the dog has seen the other dog lie down. So over time, what it learns to do is do whatever that dog just did. So, so what you if want... If can it, do it. <laughs> what you want is for copy to mean do what you just saw the other dog do. And initially, they are choosing things that are in the dog's, both dog's repertoire. Both dogs know how to sit. Both dogs know how to lie down. Both dogs know how to spin. It's all well established. But they had one dog who had been taught to bark on cue, and the other dog had never barked on cue. And so when they were testing it, you want to ask for a behavior that is not in the second dog's repertoire, which was really hard to find yeah. because they, these were dogs at the shed aquarium who were part of their show, and so their repertoires were very similar. So to have a behavior that one dog had and the other dog didn't have, that was a, that was a real challenge. So the bark was really a good one to try. So they gave the cue bark, and the and the one dog gave this nice little yippy bark that it had. And they gave the copy to the other dog, and it kind of did this little whimper, sort of this little, <laughs> and and as this great big manly sort of macho dog, and instead of giving us a great big manly bark, it sort of went ooh, and <laughs> and Ken made the argument that, well, he was doing the best he could. He really seemed to indicate that he kind of got the idea. He yeah. just didn't quite know. How to produce the behavior, and but and he can did make, do some vocalization. But he did some vocal. So and but this was being done. This was set up so that it could be published. They were they were making sure that it was set up so that the the clever Hans phenomenon was not in play, et cetera, et cetera. And so the question becomes: How do you score that? Was that an attempt? And the dog was was doing. And Ken would say, you know, that's how I would score it. But if you're looking at it from the rigors of uh, collecting data for a paper that's going to be published, mm, how do you score it? And it would be like saying, all right, what I want you to do is go out and do a handstand. Well, I might understand copy, but I can't do a handstand. But if I go out after seeing a gymnast do their beautiful handstand, and I go out and I do some clumsy version of putting my hands to the floor and then falling on my, you know, backside, does that count as a copy? And we would argue, I think that yes, it does, because just because I couldn't physically perform the behavior doesn't mean that I that I didn't understand the concept. So when you're using the props it just seems to me to be really smart because these are things that you can both do and that take out because the the challenge is when a dog is looking at a human performing a behavior how do they interpret the equivalence behavior
2: yeah so if you start singing what do they do yeah or
0: if i you know i'm a biped they're a quadruped how do they interpret my movement? Mm-hmm.
1: I think a lot of it also comes down to reinforcement history there again, right? So yes. I, am, I, I am quite, you know, as, as the handler, as the teacher, we determine the level of precision that accept, meets or doesn't meet criteria. Mm-hmm. So for example, if I would say I go and touch a flower pot with my right hand, Would I click if my dog would touch it with his left paw? Right. Yeah. So it comes down to how specifically we set our criteria and what we will
0: and will not reinforce. Right. Yes. And that would be determined by what is the future of the behavior? Does it matter how precise or not it is? Have you built the components that would allow you to be that precise, and if you want the precision, then what are the components that you would need to go back and and train so that you weren't creating an enormous amount of frustration yes. and failures? The other interesting thing about
1: concepts, as well, same with you know, same with imitation and so on, is that it's really just the very first repetition of a novel object that is the concept. The minute you clicked it once, or you have not clicked it once, or, you know, the minute it has occurred, it is no longer a concept anymore. Ah,
2: say that again.
1: (laughs) So it's... So for example, let's say that we use the copying example, the the concept of imitation. Mm -hmm. And I I have taught my animal three different examples. I'm starting to see that I can start to fade that cue out. I can bring in three more examples of behaviors. I now have four or five different examples, which leads me to believe that he understands the word do it, which is what I use with him, for Mm -hmm. example. Then I bring in... I uh, I bring (laughs) in a new, a new thing. Yeah. And I do the behavior. Now he is going to do one of two things. He's either going to meet criteria or he's going to not meet criteria. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. He meets criteria. I have clicked. He has learned, right? So it is no longer novel. Okay. Whereas of course, from a, from a, me doing stuff in my lounge and being casual, of course I can, I do it again. Right. Of course. But, but it is, it doesn't, it has to be novel. It has to be unseen.
2: Mm-hmm,
1: mm-hmm. Whereas, even if I don't click, that gives information. Mm-hmm. So it's sort of I'm telling, oh, I'm, oh, that wasn't that wasn't the thing, you know. So it's mm-hmm. the 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 uniqueness or the specialty of concept training for me is that it's that
0: one repetition. When you're so that's yeah. When you're testing it, better better yeah. not mess it up. <laughs> better not do a bad click.
1: Well, I think it again comes down to what is the function of what we do. So, why, from a from a scientific rigor point of view, I can see that absolutely being true. But do I? How important is that to me in my lounge doing something nice with my dog who has a bad, a poorly leg? Mm. With that, how precise do you want this outcome to be? Or how? What is? We must ask, our, ask ourselves: Why are we doing this? Yes.
2: Yeah, and in, in so the article that I was referring to before, and we'll definitely put it in the show notes. It's it's easily accessible. You you were you know you were asking the question: Are we when we're doing this, and we're not in a lab? We can ask ourselves: Is this? And I have totally experienced this because my only contact with concept training has been matched to sample, mm-hmm. and sh- my dog is really good at discriminating when I'm presenting the object I want her to match. So the setup is she's lying down in front of me. I have three, four objects I bought at the do- dollar store in, in double. So I'm gonna take the object I want her to identify in my hand and I will ask her to uh, tell me with a pot target which object is the same as the one I'm holding in my hand. And what I have noticed is that if I present the object Mm -hmm. slightly on the side of the one I want, so instead of being always presenting the object like exactly in the middle, let's say in front of my face, Mm -hmm. if I put it slightly to the left, Mm to indicate that it's the object on the left, she will pick it up right away. Oh and yes. She will she will she will pick up the cue that it's that one. So and it's very, very, very little. Someone who's watching me is sure that she 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 has the concept. Mm. I'm not.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
2: And it's okay. We're still playing with it. Yeah. But I know I can see myself and when I test it, because you can test it, right? You can say, okay, I'm going to put it right in front of my nose and see what she does. Mm-hmm. And she's not as accurate. Yeah. So that's telling me that we're much more into the clever hands effect than we are really into, you know, that she has learned to match the samples. And I loved your article because you were saying, you know, both things are amazing. Yeah. It's amazing how... They can discriminate, you know, this cue from this cue. It's already something amazing. And it does exist. So people are not saying, oh, is that what it is? It's only that they're very discriminative. No, I mean, they, this. the concept has been, you know, explored in lab where the owner is not there. And definitely the animals do learn concepts. I mean, mm-hmm. it's just that this is where I'm at. So I was, I was finding your article very interesting. And... I think it's important for people to realize, and this may be part of the teaching process. Even I don't know. Do you use it in yes. your teaching process? Yes.
1: Oh yes. I I yeah. work I work with. Oh, this is something I actually learned from one of your podcast episodes from ages ago. Hmm. Uh, you you work with the cues, not against. Yeah. So you That's work right. with the cues that the animal finds salient. Yeah. Not yeah. Against and you let. Oh my God. Oh my goodness. Where do I start? It's you you you. <laughs> allow the animal to tell you what they find relevant and what they don't find relevant. Yes. And instead of going, well, I insist that it has to be this cue. I, I mean, I think there's definitely a place for that, right? Because we want something out of it too. So, of course there is a place for that. But I think the the doing concept training Has really made me think about the relevance of cues
2: oh oh, me too so and and I've barely touched it but yeah
1: yeah it's fascinating and and I use it I use it so for example I know that in the teaching process my sighthound now he will pick the last reinforced item okay I know that so Mm -hmm. um, because that's that's something that he finds to be relevant okay What I do is I would use that in the teaching process. So when I, for the very first time, swap objects to the opposite side, right? Yes. The very first time I'm changing position. You'll put it at the end. I will put it
2: so that he will pick it. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah. So I use it. This is again to our theme of seeing the world through the animal's eyes. Mm. Doing concept work tells me what he finds relevant and not relevant. Mm-hmm. And I can decide, do I care about that or do I not? Because it's a dialogue, you know, nobody's sitting and judging us, you know? So it's sort of, it's, it's my way of, I, I, would, I would use prompts like that. and But what I like to think that I do is that I would like to be systematic about the prompts that I would use and how I would frame them away. So I assess mm. the relevance of prompts at all times. And when I'm teaching, it's it's hard to be a teacher and a tester at the same time. It's very hard to be both of those things at the same time because the, the tools that enable you to teach your animal are the things that you somehow need to now take away.
2: Mm-hmm. Yes,
1: yeah? I think that's hard to do for an individual. That's why I, I kind of stay away from rigorous scientific research type stuff because I'm going this is my dog and I just want to have fun mm. you know mm-hmm. um, but at the same time I you can use that so with I'm trying to find examples so the position one is when I talked about I also
0: one of the early exposures that I had to concept training left me really cold and not interested at all in pursuing it where because the it relied a lot on extinction. Yes. And and there, were, there was no prompting, no helping. It was just, well, first we want you to, to touch the red dot, and now we want you to touch the green dot, and any touches of the red dot that used to produce reinforcement, now if you touch the red dot, nothing will happen, and you're just going to go through an extinction process.
2: Yeah, and let's go play something else, Mom, please, because this is not fun. Yeah.
0: Yeah, so, exactly.
2: And it's not how you would
0: teach a toddler nope. colors. So if you were teaching mm. a toddler or, or teaching them left or right or any of these things, you make the, the right answer really easy and really obvious. Yeah. And so they are successful. So you start looking more in the area of the errorless learning mm. and the
2: other Terrorist. stimulus...
0: Yeah, and the others,
1: I'm glad yeah. you said that. Exactly, that was that was the, the paper. Yes, errorless learning and discrimination with and without yep. errors. Yeah.
2: Yes, where 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 it's really 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 sm- the the wrong answer is really really with no intensity, very very far away. There's no way that the animal would be disturbed by it at this point and not pick the right answer.
1: Yes. But you also need to be aware of it. I think one thing as the teacher one needs to be aware of, what is the level of importance that this animal is attributing to all these different cues that are present? Not mm-hmm. All of which are coming from me, some of which are coming from my neighbor, closing the door very loudly, you know, so but you know, it's what is the salience of all of these cues to this animal at this point in time. And if I want to teach a concept errorlessly or any discrimination task errorlessly, I need to understand which cues I can withdraw when. Yes, yes. Yeah. So for example, if I know, so exactly to your example, you know, the positioning is, is very important. So I, if I know that my learner is one who finds that position to be super, super relevant. So the smallest change in that position yeah. is going to sway their decision yeah. or they might find with my cats, for example, they attribute less, say less importance to what I do. It, it just seems to be part of how they work. So for them, position cues are super important. So they tend to, if something is closer to them versus, you know, environmental position cues tend mm-hmm. to be more important to them. Whereas I could almost be pointing at something and they would walk to the other one. So it's sort of, it's, it's, Part of working on concepts with your learners, getting an understanding of how they find different cues relevant or not relevant, because you use those cues as part of the teaching strategy and you use those cues as part of the scaffolding that you slowly remove.
2: So we say, you know, when you're using prompts, you should fake them as soon as possible, otherwise you will get stuck. Do you find it's the same here?
1: I actually find that having a very clear methodology of teaching a concept helps now i don't have any evidence for this but i'm i'm talking about my experience here but it's after i taught two or three four concepts the framework of communication became easier for me and for my dog so i could teach the fourth one and the fifth one quicker
2: yeah he had the concept
1: of learning
0: concepts.
1: The concept of learning concepts because but,
2: so let's let's go back to my example. okay, so I have I have those four objects and clearly my dog is responding to when I saw, when I show her the object she needs to identify, she's very uh, keen whether I'm slightly, presenting it to the right of my face or the left of my face, and she'll pick accordingly. So now you say you have a systematic way of fading this out.
1: Mm.
2: How would you do it?
1: By exactly as you would when you build durations and so on. So, you know, it's, mm-hmm. it's you, you work around that approximation. You know, you kind of go, I'm going to give you the cue. I'm going to take that a little bit out. I'm going to see if you're doing all right. And then I'm going to give it back to you. And then I'm going to take that out a bit further. So it's, it's, it's just another criteria. Mm -hmm. so i see for me the the clever hints, the the subtle cueing whether they they are they temporal cues is it something that is occurring in the repetition in order to give information about the repetition or is it an antecedent that is always part of the picture therefore you move that and the behavior completely breaks down it's it's all just
0: cues and i think there's there's something really important there that you said that it you know in terms of it's all just cues and you can have something where you think they've got it my animal has it and then you change some element and it's it's as though you have never presented anything on this (laughs) subject before and i had a really interesting experience with this my partner in the barn is Ann and many people know Ann because she's Panda's owner, and Ann is blind. And she is a just fierce Scrabble player. She loves Scrabble. And so I was, and I I had, I, I maybe had played Scrabble once or twice before in my life. So I knew the kind of, I sort of generally knew how you played Scrabble, but I had no real experience with it. So so we started playing Scrabble in the evening and I really struggled. So we would we'd have these tiles with letters on them and I found I couldn't spell. I mean, I'd look at this, these three letters and I'd say, is that really how you spell cat? Now, I, I write books, presumably I know how to spell a and few words. And you write pretty well too, you're a good writer. Yeah, I I think I I think I can spell sort of. I'm not completely <laughs> reliant upon the computer to tell me. No, you just spelled cat wrong. But I looked at these tiles and I thought, this is uh, this is I, I guess I guess I will just spell cat because um, when I spell catch it looks totally wrong. And so I'm I'm just going to go to the i I'm pretty sure that that spells cat. So I'll put that on the board. But it was that the. Letters looked so different when they were on these little squares that for me, is and it was just so fascinating how much of suddenly a behavior that I know well and I use on a daily basis, which is putting letters together to form words, wasn't working for me in a different context. And so we see mean you don't know it no no so it absolutely is relevant to Hmm. all of this both both in terms of the concept training and in terms of just teaching regular cues that you can change an element that you might not even think is that much of a change and all of a sudden so did you change something
2: or did you stop playing i just
0: got better at it (laughs) <laughs> I, you know, I, you just I,
2: got better at it by rehearsing it, the behavior, yeah, I, without right, changing anything?
0: I just gradually got started to recognize the letters on... So you went through on, some extinction then,
2: <laughs> a
0: little bit. I, I went through a, a learning curve. I was persistent. I gradually got to the point where I could put longer words on the board... <laughs> But yeah, it was. But
2: it was just such an interesting. You know, I always wonder about that. How much extinction? You know, when when you're raising criteria and you're trying to do airless learning, and all of a sudden you see a slight deterioration in the behavior, how much of that do you tolerate? How do you know when too there's too much extinction going on?
0: That's such an interesting question. So, of course, I'm going to say, that's a great place to stop. We'll pick up again next week as we conclude this exploration of concept training. For now, here are just a couple of quick announcements. We will soon be celebrating our 100th episode of Equosity. We have something very special planned to mark that event, so do make sure you listen to the announcement that we'll be making at the end of our 100th podcast. And also, do please check out my other podcast, Horses for Future. Coming up, we're going to have a fascinating conversation with Joe Lang. For those of you who are familiar with Joe's work, you may be wondering what his connection is with horses and climate change. All I will tell you here is you'll have to wait and listen to the podcast to find out. You'll find the Horses for Future podcasts at sequestercarbon.com or subscribe to it through your regular podcast provider. And do please leave a five-star review for both Equiocity and Horses for Future. Your reviews help others find these podcasts. So until next time, have fun with your training.